0: Welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves, and hopefully, the world. And now, here are John Dupuis, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 37, How Do You Define Addiction? The Art of Holding Multiple Perspectives, and the Quadrants of the Aqua Map.
1: Well, welcome back, everyone. Uh, Good morning, good night, good day, good evening, wherever you are on the planet or whatever time you're watching this. Uh, Mm -hmm. This is episode 3737, can you believe it, of the Journey of Integral Recovery. And um, we're just loving this experience and we're loving you guys. And I just got back, um, well, a couple of days ago from Albany, New York. And I went there at the invitation of Dr. Adam Gorman, who had been a uh, was a collaborator with me basically from the very beginning of this integral recovery thing. And he he uh he did a dissertation on integral recovery the work I was started, and he has an appendix in the in in uh the book uh integral recovery. Anyway, we're real pals. I met him in 18, gave him his first job. He was highly underqualified, it didn't affect the rule, but I was a boss and intuitively got to say. <laughs> hire this guy. And he was awesome. So, and he's continued to be a friend and an inspiration. So anyway, we went, we presented at the, uh, the state of New York, New York state recovery conference in Albany, downtown Albany, which is the capital of New York. And I remember your, you know, grade school stuff and it's all these massive impressive government buildings. And we were at a conference in a brand new, very beautiful facility. And we did three presentations there. The first one was on integral recovery and we had a really big room with a really lot of people. And it was so amazing. It was just the, the switch went on. You know, and I'm kind of deaf, all right? Too much rock and roll and hand grenades, not necessarily in that order. And mm-hmm. so I have some hearing loss. So when I mm-hmm. ask a question, I have to run into the audience and, you know, sit right next <laughs> to go up my podium and into the crowd mixing it up and everything. And that is just, uh, as you can tell, I have kind of a booming voice. I don't need a mic. Uh, and I was just connecting with these people They were so so amazing you know and then adam caught on and he was running around with everybody and it was a beautiful experience and then we had um we had we had a book signing after that and I only brought 20 books and then we were going like 15 minutes just bam 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 That's awesome. you know? and uh just connecting was really moving then later on we did a a second our second presentation which was on intergenerational addiction or you know mm-hmm. just generation uh, addiction attacks mm-hmm. families and what to do about it you know, in our experience and using the integral stuff also really cool. Uh, It it was on fire. Then later on we went to um, uh, Adam Gorman's center in, um, in Albany uh, at seven o'clock in the evening. And a lot of his clients and people were there and a lot of people, again, it was a a full room. And by that time I was so exhausted that (laughs) not a lot, a lot of room left for John. So God just came through. It was a really probably the most amazing talk I've ever I think I've ever done. The, the presence was so amazing. I'm sitting in the front row and all these young recovering heroin addicts. And we're just there's just so much love and so much compassion there, so much beauty. Very moving, beautiful experience. I just did a Trump thing. Very something like that. Okay. We can edit that. Kidding. But um um by the way, Adam Gorman does a wonderful Trump impression. He was, you know, he was laughing the whole time. I had him stop that, man! I'm trying to get serious. I'm so, but but the other thing is, at both at the at the conference and at the uh, the thing at Adams uh, Center, there were all these people coming up who just love the podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was so mm-hmm. moving. It's mm-hmm. like the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, we get you know emails and stuff, but you know, just meeting a. Uh, and I had uh, one woman who was just, she had three months clean, and instead of The the podcast had uh, kept her from drinking two or three times, and I was just like, Uh, "Oh my God, how cool and beautiful is that?" So it was, um, yeah, it was a really amazing thing, and we just need Mm -hmm. to get out to more conferences and speak about this stuff because the the, when I'm on or when it starts coming through me, you know, it's like we're going to get to your topic in a second, Bob, and this is a good example of it. Mm -hmm. How the ego just gets out of the way and it just pours through, Mm -hmm. and it is so. Yeah, inspiring for me, inspiring for all of us. We're we're right in the middle of the zone that yeah. uh, we're supposed yeah. to be doing in our lives, and it's really self evident. And you're mm-hmm. you're not even faith at that point; just the knowledge mm-hmm. uh, and understanding of that, and how deeply grateful, beautifully humble, mm-hmm. humbly grateful we can be for that experience. And I certainly yeah. was. Yeah
2: that's beautiful john it's great to hear from you john i want to ask you
1: is there any way that uh, any of your presentations were recorded in any form well my phone which i lost this morning uh, <laughs> okay. i did record the two the two at uh mm-hmm. but i don't know how good it's going to be so well, sure it would be a resource if it's available love to hear i'm really glad to hear about your final yeah, one and, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to learn all this stuff, the things that i didn't do that i thought about so you know, next time, yeah. we'll know better. So,
2: Yeah, yeah. I want to ping off of you, John. This is what, what I had planned to talk about. But I talked to you earlier, John and Doug. We haven't spoken this week. Uh, uh, there's a fair bit of momentum that's developing um, uh, here locally. Um, I, I gave six presentations this week, in the, just this week. Uh, and John knows this, and it's just extraordinary. I shared with my wife, Colleen, I shared with her, the momentum that's building is so gratifying. So there's six presentations, and every one of them was uh, integral, integrally informed. They were to different audiences. They were to the faculty at my university. They were to uh, client groups. Uh, one was to a group of recovery worker clinicians, uh, non-clinical recovery workers, I guess I'd say. Um, one of them was an online...
1: Um, which means they don't have a degree. Uh, they're
2: not. And yeah. I'm going to speak about it because I want to, I want to flesh it out and we may want to see where this goes for us. Uh, because I had a chance to talk to debrief with you, John about this or you Doug. Um, and then one of them was uh, uh, an online pod- podcast. That it's just called ask an addiction specialist. And in all of them, what I was wanting to do was to translate the quadrants the quadrants from the aqual model from integral recovery from Ken Wilber into uh, uh, Something that was experienced near, and I did not use any integral language. And so it's the first time I've done this, and, and it met with different responses. I think it was successful in the main. I find it ironic and interesting that I felt like the clients who are in early recovery, typically from heroin or meth addiction, they seem to get it the most powerfully and most intuitively. That's quite ironic to me, you guys. Yeah, But I do want to share something, and I want to run it by you, and I'd like very much to, to dialogue about it if you guys are interested I gave one presentation to the group of recovery workers, and they're non clinical. And what that means is these are people that are in recovery. Many of them have been uh, um, state certified as recovery workers, chemical dependency counselors, and they work in uh, local rehabs here in, in Orange County. And I presented to this group, and I'll tell you real quickly what I did. Um, is that I I, I I gave them a sheet of paper and I said, draw a line like this, and like a line like this, one vertically and one horizontally. And I said, in the upper right hand corner, you guys know what this is gonna go. I said, in the upper right hand corner, I want you to answer this question. How would a medical doctor define addiction? So they did that. And I said, now the upper left-hand corner. How would a therapist define addiction? And so they did that. These, by the way, are not therapists, so they're writing about things that they're not. Lower right-hand corner. How would a courtroom judge define addiction? Bam. They did that. Lower left-hand corner. How would the loved one of an active addict define addiction? Bam. There. And then I had him flip it over on the blank side. And I said, and I had typed it, how would you define addiction? And so they did this and it took however long it took. We didn't debrief at all. And then I opened it up to conversation and we went through each one of those, well, what we think of as quadrants and, uh, People got it. I mean, this, this, these are these recovery workers.
1: By the way, clients get this too because I did the same doggone thing with them. But I was just saying how I would have loved to have been your student when you were teaching. <laughs> <laughs> That's Awesome, Bob. Go you're ahead.
2: Very sweet, you're very God. sweet. Thank you, John. I have to tell you guys where this went. Shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. Um, let me see if I can get back the conversation. Let's see. Because of the nature of this group, on the backside, when they said, "How would you define addiction?" Everyone who shared said I would define addiction as a spiritual problem with a spiritual solution. That, that's not surprising to me. I do think that there were a couple of people there that didn't raise their hands because I think there's enough group pressure that to come up with something that was different than that probably would take amazing resolve. So, so that, was, that was really the unanimous response to that. But here's where the plot thickens, and this is where I really wanna draw you, Doug, and you, John, in. Is that one woman to my left said, Dr. Bob, you know, a doctor's, a, a doctor's approach or a therapist's approach or a judge's approach, those are all very interesting. And, and they had really nailed it, you guys. By the way, they nailed the quadrants, I mean, just intuitively. But she said to me, and she said it out of completeness. she says, but aren't those all just opinions? And, and I stayed with it because, you know, in the heat of the moment, and you'll realize this, John, just on the heels of your pre- presentation, you're, you're in your integral mode. And so I just wove that into, I said, well, and it, it, you know, yeah, we just talked about different approaches and whatever like this. I worked with it. In fact, I cited somebody. There had been a client two days before I presented this to a client group and a client at the end of the presentation, same same exercise, said, thank you, Dr. Bob. Can you now give us the true definition of addiction? And bless his heart, again, just there was no guile in his question at all. And my response, I said, that's the right question. Thank you. And I, and I said, they're all the definition. It's all of these. And right. you know what his response was to me, you guys? This is the client. I'm going to come back to the recovery worker. The client looked at me and he said, you know, I was thinking you were going to give us a Webster's definition of addiction. This is verbatim what he said. And he paused for a second. He says, I'm so relieved you didn't. Really powerful to me. First time I'd ever met this client. So flashback to two days ago with the recovery workers is that when I brought that same story, because I told them the story I just told you guys about the client who said the Webster's definition, they all looked at me, and you know what? It didn't convince nobody a nutting. It was like, no, we have the definition. And I, I want to tell you guys this final experience and open it up. It wasn't until I left that day. It was just an hour presentation. I was walking probably 200 yards to my car. No, it's 100 yards. It wasn't very far. And it was only when I walked out that it hit me like a foot in the gut. And so I went, holy moly. Holy moly, they really mean this. And they're working, by the way, with uh, physicians and working with working with Therapists and and they're looking at this as opinion. In the day of fake news, <laughs> you know uh, that climate change is a hoax. It fills up that same enormity. And it wasn't until I left the group that it really hit me the gravity of this. Thank goodness, you guys. I'm coming back next week for a second presentation, so I'll have a chance to work this. And and I, I it was interesting. It wasn't until later that I actually went into a judgmental place. It was like you got to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> but I soon enough that dissolved because that's where the work needs to be done. It needs to be done right there where there are bridges between these worlds. And I'm perfectly suited because I'm a psychologist who lost his professorship and his license. By the way, I started with that story. I saw the story. It's my, it's my life. I did it. And they were so appreciative of that. It was like, I said, why are you appreciative? They said, I mean, who is this transparent? (laughs) So I told my story about that and that, And so I have this background as a psychologist and I'm also in recovery. And so it's like, if not me, then whom is kind of the the question. There's one other piece I want to say. Let's see if I can get it back, you guys. Oh, oh. Another person right before we finished said, can I just ask you, Dr. Bob? And I said, yeah. And she, she says, isn't a courtroom judges, cause they had all come up with what a courtroom judge would say about defi- addiction. Basically a courtroom judge would say five years. That's what, how, that's how I define addiction is five years. Mm-hmm. Variance on that. She said, isn't that a superficial, isn't that just superficial? And I looked at her and I wasn't, I wasn't in the mode that I am with you guys. because <laughs> We're close and I love you and I know you, but I said, I said, I went back to my initial story. I said, "You know, the loss of my tenured professorship and the loss of my license to practice as a clinical psychologist I don't know how you define that, but I do not define that as superficial." And it's like, "And if I don't get that lower right-hand quadrant in my recovery I didn't use this word I'm fucked. Just with a wish that every one of these quadrants, and even those that we're not imagining right now, and everything on the back side of that sheet, every one of those things is key. But I want to, I guess, what I want to leave it with you guys is, and you guys, we all know this, but it was like that is seen as superficial. The other side, the, the quadrants, they're seen as opinions. And it was really bracing, I have to just confess, it was really bracing for me. So I just want to open it up. Any thoughts from either one of you and just kind of talk into this, because it's right in the heart of this whole integral sensibility, and I ran right up against it in in a way. I don't hang out with these people anymore, for you to know. I work with clinicians. Uh, Every in-service I've given over the last two years has been to a group of clinicians. When I go to universities, I speak to clinicians. And I'm preaching to the choir because there are very few of them that don't get an integral perspective at some level. Yeah. Is that there's much more openness to this, but to be speaking to non-clinical folk who have been in recovery, have found Jesus, so to speak, in a certain modality, to question that raises such anxiety. So the only thing that saved my ass on Thursday is they liked me. I think they liked me because I was, I was, I showed up. It really helped a lot. But I don't think they liked the message at all because I think it made them more anxious than hell. I'm not saying this out of disrespect because John and Doug, that would have been me at any point in my life, especially back in my early Christian days. I would have been so uptight with what this person is talking about. My um, inclusivity would have been seen as being wishy washy. And that's how they saw this. It's like, aren't these other guys full of it? Isn't it? Let's let's condescend to them and let's yeah, we'll hear what a judge has to say or a therapist, but you know, really, that's just a flipping opinion. You know, science, that's just opinion. That's right, just right. opinion. So anyway, I'll leave it with you guys.
0: <laughs> so Bob, I think that uh, the way you approach this, the way you approach the teaching of it is absolutely brilliant because <laughs> the power of the integral model lies in the synthesis of these different opinions and different approaches, ways of thinking of things and uh, Ken has taught in the Superhuman Operating System for one, but uh, in in some of his other written work too. That one of the fastest ways to accelerate your level development and and move into the next levels of development is through the act of taking other perspectives. And the way you taught quadrants forced people outside of their normal modality of thinking Mm. to take these other perspectives and see how different people would define addiction through taking these perspectives. Mm. We get an intuitive understanding of the quadrants for people who have never been exposed to it before, as well as increased capacity to take perspectives. It, It becomes very clear when you offer the experience for them to go through and see it in all these different ways to realize that, addiction is a complex problem and then the leap after that that hopefully people will leave with and did leave with is that you can apply that to not only addiction and recovery but to pretty much any area of your life so I think there's a lot of a lot of wisdom in that and I would have loved to uh, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: have been one of your students too I think that Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. um, thanks Doug thank you thank you Doug I want to I want to check something out with you is that at least in the latter story with the recovery workers? Uh, as I said, ironically, the clients. I would led this. I I did this exercise with two different client groups. I also shared it with my refuge recovery group, and it was intuitively received and intuitively obvious. But with the the uh, uh, with the clients and with the refuge recovery, but with the recovery workers, uh, the clinical the um, non clinical uh, treatment staff, they did not leave with that apprehension. They did not leave with that. In fact, they left. Uh, probably feeling sorry for me and maybe they're glad I'm coming back next week because if they have another shot at me, maybe they can finally convince me of the the the, uh, the, the failings of my ways. So I, I just want to check that out, Doug, in, in regards to what you just said. My intention was that, and I'll be honest with you, Doug, I was naive going in because I'd already had this experience with clients and I thought, well, gosh, darn it, if I've got clients that are two weeks off of heroin, certainly the recovery staff would be able to agree with this
1: wrong, wrong, well, didn't happen. Well, let me step in here. You know, well, certainly a judge is going to look at uh, addiction as a criminal justice issue. Right? Yeah. Because we commit crimes and do things that we wouldn't do otherwise. Right. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. oh, uh, often when I was working in the wilderness, I was working with groups of young women, uh, teenage girls, and I'd ask mm-hmm. them, okay, who has had a sexual encounter, one or more, that they wouldn't have had if they hadn't been drinking or drugging, and all yeah. of them. Damn. I mean, how many times have we done that? And, you know, we're starting to have, you know, burglary problems here Mm -hmm. in Wayne County. We've never had, and it's because there's meth going on here. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the drug thing. So, yet, drugs makes us uh, normally good people that wouldn't ever do that. When the cravings for drugs are in the influence of drugs, are in the influence of alcohol, Mm -hmm. do violent, crazy-ass, stupid things that you wouldn't do otherwise. So, it definitely kicks it into the lower right of criminal justice issue, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And that's why 80% of everybody in our our jails in the United States, we have more percentage of population in prison than any other country are there because of drugs and alcohol related offenses. John,
2: John, let me jump in here real quickly, just about this piece. And I want you to continue on. I'll be brief is that in the refuge meeting yesterday, one of my best friends in the refuge meeting said, told me this story and I'll disguise it to protect uh, his uh, privacy. But the basic idea was that when he went in for to a courtroom situation for his third uh, DUI, the judge looked at him and and looked at him with respect actually uh, and said, If you want to kill yourself drinking yourself to death that 's your that 's your choice. If you want to get behind a car after you 've been drinking that 's my job mm-hmm. That really clarified it for me. And by the way, the gentleman who was sharing with me really got this himself as well, is that my own t- interior world is my interior world. But as soon as I take that out into society, that becomes the province of criminal justice. You're absolutely right. Yeah,
0: We specialize and that's okay. That's a fully integral treatment program. You're going to bring in all these different pieces to it. And it is the job of your doctors to look at it from a medical perspective. Yes. It is a job of your psychologist to look at yes. it as a yeah. psychological perspective, just like you were saying with the with the judge and like john was saying too it becomes a criminal problem and so you look at it from that perspective but right. as people in recovery it's our responsibility our our necessity to understand that all of these factors play a role yeah. and that looking at any one of them does not solve the whole problem because there is information and solutions to be gleaned from all of them. And our society encourages this kind of intellectual conceit of the approach you've been trained in is the only way and the right way to deal with something which
1: intellectual conceit. That's beautiful. (laughs) You know, and, and also, I mean, when you say opinions, you can say perspectives. Okay. And we, those are different perspectives we're talking about in integral speak. And guess what folks, some perspectives are more informed, and more intelligent and should be paid attention to more than other perspectives okay in
2: I, fact john, in fact, john the, the comment being made and you know this is that the, when the comment discuss, describes it as an opinion it's actually demoting it so that perspective is actually being seen as lesser so it's really not seen as a viable other perspective like looking at world religions i may be a buddhist i may be a christian they're all valid no 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 it's really clear that buddhism has it and christianity sucks it's that demotion that went on and so the. talk Talk about a medical perspective based in scientific research. To have that relegated to the slag heap of opinion was shocking to me. I should know it. I do know it intellectually. All I have to do is read the paper today, which I did. That's all I have to do. But to, to run into it with a group of, as you are saying, Doug, recovery workers who ideally would be able to embrace the fact that there are physicians consulting, there are therapists meeting every day. These people all have legal criminal justice issues going on, and to have that seen as somehow opinion or less than or not the real issue was really bracing as i said yeah
1: yeah and i just want to say i'm you know i'm a pretty smart guy and i've read about (laughs) i've read about cancer and i've had family members that have cancer i've known people have died from it however i have my best friend when i was growing up and during a period i mean i had several best friends because i was always moving but Mm -hmm. right before i left home uh buzzy denim and, uh, he, he became an oncologist. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when it comes down to it, if you want an opinion about cancer, I mean, mine has some validity because of the experience of it. And I've read a little bit, but I would really talk to Buzzy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Buzzy. Uh dinner. And uh I'm I'm outing him here because there's really nothing you have to be anonymous for being a, a oncologist. I mean that's, that's a pretty cool thing. I mean, he was really smart. We'd be in ke- a chemistry class together, my eyes would be crossed a, <laughs> <laughs> to get it all. So anyway, so yeah, so anyway, I would say he, he not not that my perspective uh isn't valuable, and certainly if you wanted a, a fuller uh view of things you could take my perspectives as somebody who's lost loved ones from cancer and seen it from that perspective and everything but when you get down to it and you want a lot of information quickly mm-hmm. i talk to buzzy any day of the week you know and twice on sundays when it comes to cancer me too so, i'm um, all for buzzy yeah okay. <laughs> and you know that was his nickname I and mean, he kept it you know all these said, no buzzy, you know, god bless him so anyway i love the guy yeah. um yeah so that's kind of what i wanted to say but that's uh it's interesting. It's
2: interesting. Yeah. I want to ask you guys both a question if I can. And I'm uh, Doug. We'll come right back to you if, if this doesn't fit with where you might be going. I'm really interested to talk with both of you, both personally, but also for the sake of our podcast listeners, about suggestions you might have for helping to evolve a group in conversation. I'm very committed to this uh, this group of, of of recovery staff. It, it uh, I have my reactions, my personal reactions, but I've, I'm i no longer very satisfied for very long with just writing them off. I, it feels like it's just kind of perpetuating a kind of polarization. I don't, that's not really what I'm wanting to do here, but I'm very interested in terms of just kind of cash value. What might I bring to them next week? And more generally, what might we all bring as we feel more and more imbued with integral sensibility in terms of all quadrants, all levels, et cetera? What might we do to help further the conversation in the spirit of what you were saying, Doug, which is to evolve consciousness, evolve awareness, and John with you by by means of embracing multiple perspectives, ever more perspectives. It becomes a very practical question for me. In exactly a week from this past Thursday, I'll be sitting there with them with my... For my second session, that one was to be de- dedicated to doing the same thing with the developmental lines as I did with quadrants. Is a kind of a, I, I introduced it as a scratch and sniff approach
1: <laughs> to Wilbur. Yeah, well, I think that's <laughs> my what set off the thing. You know, yeah, instead of kind of just telling them uh, something here, you made them come up with their opinions. And then, I mean, but the, the integral moment, the beautiful integral moment, is when you said it's all of these to that individual. And that's the truth. It is a criminal justice uh uh problem. It is a relational, you know, violence toward others and yourself problem in the lower left quadrant. It is an interior depression, despair, uh interior problem. It's obviously a physical body, brain, chemical organs, muscles, tissues, all that stuff problem too. It is all of those, you know. And you know, they say there's no shame And being an addict, no, there's not. But we do shameful things when we're, you know, under the throes of addiction. We do things that we'd never do, you know.
2: I have a a thought, John, as, as I'm listening to you, is that what I didn't mention to you guys was in this room full of recovery workers, there was one client who had to stay back that day. He was ill, ironically, with the same thing I've had, which is this lingering cough and bronchitis and stuff. And so he stayed back. In fact, the, uh, the uh, organizer of the event asked me, would it be okay if clients attended? And I said, I went basically, hell yes, I would love for clients to be here. And so we had one client and all the rest were, were his recovery uh, people, uh, workers. And uh, again, ironically, maybe in hindsight, I shouldn't be surprised. I'd never met him before. He sat over to my far left. He got this stuff. What you just said, John, as you were saying it about the multiple perspectives he got it intuitively. And my thought about it, just as I was listening to you, is he's living it. Doug, you and I in our addiction and in our recovery, this isn't this isn't oblique because every one of these things touches part of my experience. What you wrote just this last week, Doug, about, uh, it, it was from a previous podcast, but somebody was responding online about uh, issues of meaning and value and purpose. There's no addict uh, in recovery, and I would even say there's no addict in active addiction that doesn't get the validity of that perspective, no matter how fucked up you are, you still get that. That's something I've been talking about. So having said that this client got this uh, and, and my thought about it, John, as I was listening to you, is that, that I'm sitting in a room of people. I asked them how many are in recovery if they're willing to share, everyone raised their hand. So that includes me, includes the client that includes all of us. It's, the difference it might be is that those that raise their hands, are recovery workers, they've all found it. They've all found it, and it's an it and And anything that deviates from that, unless they're particularly kind of um, uh, moving forward, let's say in terms of embracing multiplicity, yeah. it is singular. and I'm, I'm suggesting by my suggesting it's all of these, that's the wrong answer. if it is the only way to go. So anyway, just uh, so, and, and the client interestingly, hasn't found it yet. He's very early in recovery. Maybe he'll find it, and then he'll be disillusioned by me too. But it was very curious to me that he was more open to multiplicity than with the staff I was speaking to. So, so Bob, we all
0: have a, a vested interest in our our paradigm being the right one, especially when we've invested so much time, years of schooling, oftentimes in training, in whatever discipline it is, whatever we're mm-hmm. uh, approaching recovery. We have a ventr- vested interest in protecting that. This applies not only just... To recovery but to all our opinions our political opinions our religious beliefs we have, have a desire a strong burning desire to make our opinions right or to protect them because they have served us for so long we have so much invested in them and opening people's minds to a different possibility or bringing complexity into that isn't as simple as saying here's a different way to think about it because it doesn't resonate with what you already know. And Mm -hmm. the key to that is, and this is a very integral way of communicating too, as you speak to people at different levels here, we're talking about different lines, but it applies to levels or whatever the case may be is that you meet people where they are. I was having a conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about someone she knows who has some very judgmental, uh, opinions about people who are different than he is and you don't change their belief by jumping two levels ahead it's like trying to teach calculus to a second grader you need to learn the multiplication tables first so i would suggest with wherever somebody is in this group whatever their discipline whatever their opinion what's the smallest incremental move you can get to open their mind and move them along that path and it's going to be different for everyone that we speak to. But I think that that, you know, 1% change that lets a little crack of light shine in the window is enough.
2: Thank you, Doug. That's really thoughtful. I really appreciate that. That resonates. That feels like that's accurate. And in fact, as you were talking, I was thinking about how's this, you guys, is that I was just taking these guys have found it and their, it is singular. I have to be careful because I found it and my, it, my, it is plural. Yeah, well and, 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 it, and I what, can impose my it on their it without the increments that you're talking about, Doug, and do great damage or certainly not bridge anything. So I, I get attached. My reactivity as I was walking those hundred yards to my car is that I've got fucking it and it is multiple.
1: <laughs> but but at a certain stage in your career, right, it was it, you know, it's all developmental. In other words, yeah. really hard dealing with somebody in the first stages of addiction to get them off it because that it right now is working for them so well on so many levels. You know, it's the honeymoon phase. It's they're happy. They have new friends, blah, blah, blah. You know, the movie, uh, train spotting. I, don't know oh, I love ever. that. I love that. I just saw I, it recently again. Oh my God. You know, you start out and these are the hippest, most beautiful London. <laughs> things. You know, they're doing heroin. It's all good. And then it just goes on the baby guys in the crib, yeah. the, the rip off the lies, the horror, you know, but if you watch the first 15 minutes, you go, damn, <laughs> yeah. I, want, I want some, you know, yeah. that sort yeah. of thing. And so yeah. it's, it's yeah. hard. You, you have to do a lot of exterior Manipulations, you know, consequential stuff that's not coming from the inside to work with. So mm-hmm. can be done, but it's, it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the same thing developmentally, you know, when some mm-hmm. bodies are born again, 12 mm-hmm. uh, stepper, mm-hmm. and it's saving their lives, they don't want to hear all this stuff because mm-hmm. it's working for them. Yeah. And that, yeah. has to be, that has to be accepted. And, you know, most of the integral recovery was written, it was, you know, outside of the circle or maybe transcended the circle of AA and people who have done multiple AA treatments and have, you know, get to the point where I got it. Thank you very much, you know, but I got to move on. There's something beyond this or people, they just can't get their heads into it. Those are the people generally that, that, that contact me. have contacted us uh, over, you know,
2: this John, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my rub with it and I love both of your guys input on this. It's not new to our conversations. I, I really get what you're saying in my heart of hearts. I don't have any need for somebody who's got it to lose it. It's mean, fine with me. It's fine with me. I think it becomes a little bit of a, a leverage issue for me though, is that when you have recovery workers working with the same clients I'm working with, and I'm sitting with these clients and they're experiencing this being sliced and diced into the right answer is this and, and having a, uh, been an addict actively moving into committed recovery and feeling like I was starving for somebody to get the fact that this is biological, that this is spiritual and everything in between is that I, my empathy is for the clients that I see. And honestly, some of those clients come to my groups and they've got it and I'm right on with it. I just had somebody last week, can picture him, Claire Zabel. He was, he was struggling with what I was presenting because it wasn't a single it. And, I, and I, I, I came back the next week, and I said to him, I'm sorry because I didn't get that you got it, and I support it for you. I really, I really meant that. But that's not that's my primary impetus. My impetus is for the rest of the room, many of whom, they're, these aren't sharp, integrated philosopher types at all. I'm not talking about that. They're like truck drivers and so on. But they get that what's going on in addiction is multiform. and when they're given a, uni, a just a unitary answer, it leaves them sadly – Missing something? Um, it's it's not. It, that's where the issue is for me. Is that it feels like to me? Integral uh, applies to the streets at a very uh, a very primal level. It doesn't have to be some high minded, sophisticated philosophy. It's just the reality of being an addict uh, or an addict in recovery is to realize if I don't have meaning in my life, I'm fucked. If I don't address my brain imbalance, I'm fucked. If I don't get some practice going on, if I don't de- de- deal with my trauma. All of the, all of that stuff, and I that that's you can see my passion right now with it. That's 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 where my passion is. But the trick is back to what Doug said: is that how can I be patient and kind of hold my passion in check and not get all reactive and shit? How can I can I how can I begin to broker an expanded understanding from the people? The people I met with on Thursday spend much more time with these clients than do any clinical staff. You come in for an hour or two or a group or three a week. But day in, day out, they're living with recovery staff who believe it's a single answer. And I see those clients coming in and feeling liberated by integral conversation. It goes unnamed, but it's integral conversation in every group. They feel liberated by that, but they don't spend their weeks with me. They spend their weeks in a group that is slicing and dicing.
0: Bob, I think that I agree with you completely that if you found something that is working for you, then by all means – Congratulations yeah. and stick with it please yes. do what's yes. working for you yes. but yes when you when you hear that there is one particular answer it's medical it's psychological it's yeah. Yeah. societal whatever the case may be. and that doesn't resonate with with you and your experience and your typology because we all respond mm-hmm. differently to different things and when that one answer doesn't work for you it's not what you need in that moment we have such complex histories and relationships and psychological patterns and traumas and different bodies our brains are wired differently our our neurons are connected differently we need different things and when the answer that we hear is the one right way isn't what we need at that time then we lose people along the way and so you have to you know if you find if you find that right way that gateway in that's going to help you get better then continue it, but we need to have these options available too. And I wish that that was something more treatment providers understood is that if you're not connecting with somebody, continuing to bang the same drum is not necessarily going to break through when a different approach and viewing it through a different lens might resonate
2: more effectively. Well said, Doug. Thank you, Doug. Well said. Well said.
1: You know, and also, you know, it's weird. All all the talks I've given, you know, um, in this country and abroad, uh, I was really worried if I was going to get attacked by twelve steppers, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you guys know, I have great love for AA, and I sincerely <laughs> speak from that place. I've never had, I've never been attacked either afterwards or during the process mm-hmm. at all. In fact, a lot of the old ones, the old guys, have been around for thirty or forty years. And they just, yeah. And I think they love the emphasis on spirituality because mm-hmm. most of the people that have made it through AA over the years, they, they say, you know, it's a spiritual thing. Was, mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's what brought me through. So i would just quote the book. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and talk about your meetings and stuff like that and just let them know it's like ken's talking about in this the future of religions you know it's like we're not trying to do away with anything we're just trying to add to it you know the traditions obviously you want to get away with pedophilia and you know all the the horrible stuff but the good solid things of the bridge we're not trying to change that we're just trying to add an -hmm. integral perspective you know so people will do an integral practice basically that's integral spirituality um, the only time I really got attacked is one time I suggested that uh, marijuana was also an addictive substance or certainly could be. Man, this woman jumped all over my case, and you know, wow, truth is, I've seen lots of pot addicts in my career. Hello, <laughs> I write, you know, I write about it in, in my book. My girlfriend in college, I loved dearly, it was addicted to mm. pot, she'd run out of pot, she'd go crazy. Mm. You know? So, mm. uh, mm. so yeah, and you know, I was suggesting maybe next week a good thing to start with would okay, let's look at um, step 11. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know you're a prayer master and, and a meditator, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, uh, and that's probably one of the most underdeveloped steps in the uh, twelve steps, because we've never had any, you know, spiritual teachers or meditators that can teach us how to do prayer in a contemplative, inner, you know, ongoing transformative sense. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's nice to have petitionary prayer, like and gratitude prayer. Thank you for keeping me sober. Mm-hmm. Uh, today, God, and please help me stay sober uh, this morning. I mean, that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the deep transformational stuff that I think Bill was yeah. talking about.
2: Yeah, you just brought something to mind, John, and I thank you for this. I do find it ironic, and I didn't see it till you just said this, is that in the groups I led this week, uh, probably four of the six groups, I didn't do this with the faculty. Yeah. <laughs> Um, is that I start with a mindfulness practice. I start with uh, about seven minutes of a meditation, just um, a, a body-oriented mindfulness. And I didn't do that with, the, with this uh, recovery staff. Uh, and if you think about state-specific consciousness, is that if I move in there and already I'm coming in, they don't know me. I come in dressed a little bit up. Um, I'm a psychologist, defrocked or not, et cetera. And uh, I, all of that, is that, is that why wouldn't they be poised to kind of operate out of that level of consciousness that they operate in waking day, just kind of rational, self-centered uh, self, uh, awareness, which we all do. And why not? And I will do this, John, and I thank you for this. I'll start next week by doing doing what I did with the clients, which I find ironic that that's where I did it. And I'll start with a meditation just so that maybe all of us, maybe most of all moi, <laughs> may drop into a more uh, compassionate uh, awareness, and uh, certainly more uh, kind of a presence-centered type of thing.
1: Thank when you, you do for that. It, when you do with the group, I did all, all three of my presentations because you're always talking about doing it. So, <laughs> Physician, heal thyself. Yeah, really, right. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Bob, do it. Dr. Bob says. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, and it was beautiful, you know, and also yeah, we were all writing on just the great tragedy in Las Vegas, right? So we had that in mind and we're just sitting yeah. out. You know, just love and compassion and so. for all of us because, you know, these events. And, of course, we hear about all this stuff in the Middle East, but when mm-hmm. it comes home, you know, it's so much closer. Mm-hmm. And um,
2: you just opened up something else, too, John, is that uh, this would be the aim of meditation for sure. But that if if I had begun by by making note of the tragedy in Las Vegas, it's hard not to move into a heart centered space with that. And so uh even though I did something with the quadrants helping people to imagine perspectives, you know, a doctor's perspective, et cetera, that's not really a heart filled response. It's more of an intellectual thing and it's, it's helpful, but it's limited. And I wonder what would happen if I were to have added. And if I am to add more, more of a heart centered meditation, uh, included whatever that would be so that we move into the thought that I had with that is that just as the tragedy in Las Vegas is so, uh, unbelievably beyond imagination. So are the deaths every day of uh, friends of these people that are in recovery. They've just lost people this week that died of overdoses. And to hold a space for them just as we hold a space for those that were, that were murdered in Las Vegas and start with that. So that yeah. when we move into conversation, we're moving out of a place of humility and deep sorrow and deep yeah. compassion, ideal
1: way. Yeah. Yeah, and one of one of the the criticisms of integral, and, and rightly so, is that sometimes it just becomes a big head trip, you know. So I mean, obviously the heart's accounted for there, but you know, the heart and all that's not. It's not a mental concept. It is a mental concept, but it has to be a reality. Thank you. Thank and, and, you. And you know, if we just open our hearts then we can open our big brains too. And, you know, that's the oil that helps all this stuff, <laughs> going around, you know, without too much. Uh, yeah. It gets down to love, you know, and our, our, our beautiful map has to be an expression of love. Okay. So everyone, thank you so much. And uh, we're running out of time for this week and Dr. Bob, I want to thank you so much for really bringing, not only were you bringing your experience, but you're bringing something that was really hurting you and causing you, you know, pain Thanks, Jeff. Thank and you. it just shifted. In, in, in fellowship yeah. shifted in in our holding and our discussing and putting it out there that's why we need each other so uh, anyway love you guys and you uh, we'll see love you next you time thank and you. I can't wait for it God bless all of you out there we love you thank you
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by I Awake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash I for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review.
2: We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.